Good morning. I'm awake. We're awake. Woohoo! <laughs> um, here at the river, we have this practice of creating space for people to tell stories about what God is doing in their life and through them. And one of the reasons that we practice this and value this practice is because it helps us all become more aware of what God might be doing in our life and how God might be inviting us um, to partner with him. And so the passage that I'm going to dive into in a little bit uh, touches on themes of home and hospitality. And so I asked the Rap and Chucks um, if they would share a little bit about their journey with hospitality, partly because I have been so encouraged by it. So I invite you uh, to give them their full attention, your full attention. Good morning. I'm Steve, and this is my wife, Marisa. Um, we have been married for 38 years. Our, let's hear it. Um, our four adult kids live in the Pacific Northwest and in L.A., and we've been going to the river about five years. In fact, um, the first time we showed up here on a Sunday morning, none of you guys were here because you were all at Riverfest. <laughs> so, um, anyway. Hello. Many years ago, our four children graduated from college and have all moved out of the house, which meant we had four empty bedrooms. I didn't think much about those empty rooms, if they would stay empty or if there were plans to have one or more of them filled. Well, God had plans. One day, I read an article about the San Jose Giants host family program. Minor league baseball players make less than minimum wage, making it extremely difficult to afford housing in San Jose. Host families provided a free place to live during their time here. I thought this would be an interesting thing to do, so my husband Steve and I decided to give it a try. Soon we had two players come live with us. We ended up hosting close to 20 baseball players over six seasons. We were blessed each time uh, we had a player stay with us in our home. And we usually had two players at a time, sometimes three or four. Um, sometimes for five months, sometimes for a day or two. Um, the players expressed how much they felt at home, and we got connected to some of their family members as well. In fact, Marisa got a Facebook request from one of the players' grandmas. Um, and so we were honored, and we were even honored to attend three of our players' weddings. Um, you'll see, I think you can see a picture up here in a minute. Um, and... Uh, and, and Oh, and the guys loved it when we'd go to support them by going to their games and letting them know we were praying for them um, and embracing them like they were family and, of course, feeding them. And they really liked the food part. Um, so um, we, And also, we were even able to make it to two of our guys who made it to the major leagues. We made it to their debut in San Francisco. Uh, the two guys there you see are Steven Duggar and Aramis Garcia who sadly are no longer with the Giants, but are playing for other teams. Um, and so we got to make it to their, uh, to their debut, um, Major League debut, and that was pretty awesome. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and the host family program was shut down, and that's a long story, but uh, um, that was the end of hosting baseball players. So here we were with three, with actually four empty bedrooms again. One day I found out through articles that I read and watched in the news about San Jose State University students that were having such a hard time trying to financially live in the Bay Area and pay for an education. 
Many students are in crisis, living in the cars, sleeping in the library, or trying to get into emergency housing on site, which is only a temporary stay. I connected with a case manager named Victoria in the college cares department at the, co at the college and told her about our story of hosting the pl baseball players and how that program had come to an end. I told her I was aware of the crisis going on with the college students and asked if there was a way to get connected to one of these students that was in this situation and needed help with a place to live and that we were willing to provide that. She thought this was a very interesting request. Not long after our conversation, she connected us with Michael, who is in that dire housing situation. We Zoomed with him first and then had him come to our house to meet us in person. Soon afterwards, Michael, who you see on the far right, lived with us for six months. And it was a pretty amazing experience. Uh, Michael was transparent with us about his life situation and some of his ups and downs. And we also got to meet his friends who came over to visit and sometimes they had dinner with us. Um, but Michael was kind of hesitant about coming to church, but he said he believed in God. And so um, he got to meet some of the amazing people, all of the amazing people in our small group, not some of them, <laughs> who, um, who meet in our home on Wednesday nights. And uh, they welcomed and encouraged him and even prayed over him at one of our small group meetings. And um, Michael loves our small group. And... Uh, but he didn't participate so much in the studies, but he loved to have dinner and talk to them. And as they welcomed and accepted him, Michael opened up to them and talked to them and shared what's going on in his life. And uh, when Michael told us that he didn't know if he was going to go to church, we told him, you know that Wednesday night small group that you love? That is church. And so Michael finished his classes and he graduated. He got a job in Hayward and it was able to pay off his debts. And then um, a little while later, he got an apartment and moved out just a few months ago. And so, uh, but we still are in contact with him. In fact, I work in Hayward, and so I meet up with him from time to time. So here we were with empty bedrooms again, <laughs> which was good because that meant there was success. A couple weeks ago, I connected with Victoria to ask if there was another college student in need. At the time, there wasn't. I prayed about it, if God had someone in mind to send our way, and then I got an email not long afterwards from her asking if we were still open to having a student because there was someone else that she was working with who was in need of a place to live since his emergency housing was running out. We Zoomed with Guillermo, and then he came to meet us in person for dinner. He is now living with us, and we already know this will be another wonderful experience. I don't think I could have ever predicted this is what we would do with our empty rooms, hosting baseball players and college students. We love God's plan he has had for our home. We feel blessed that we could help them to be able to pursue this passion in life by providing them a place to live, encouraging them, supporting them, praying for them, and sharing our community with them. And just to reiterate these guys, up above is Heath Quinn and Alan, his wife now. Um, we went to the Alabama wedding that we were invited to, and Alan actually lived with us for quite a while, too. Um, to the lower left is Bryce Johnson and Manuel Geraldo, who's from the Dominican, and um, they stayed with us. And there, some people may have heard of this guy, Stephen Duggar and Aramis Garcia, and that was after their major league game. We got to pass security and go see him after the game. <laughs> and there we have Michael. Thank you.
I asked the rapping trucks if they just wanted to take my sermon because it was like, what, what do you even say after that? It's such an encouraging, beautiful story. And I love hearing stories like this that touch not only on like housing, but home of community, relationship, security, refuge, and that it was a gift for everyone um, in the house. So I want to invite you this morning before we get into the passage to close your eyes. And imagine home. Is that a place? Is it a group of people? People that make you feel like you can be yourself, you belong, you're safe. Maybe there's grief or longing that comes up connected to home. What does home mean to you? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your generous hospitality. Thank you for stories that awaken our hearts to wonder about your love and your provision, inviting us into your story. We pray, God, that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would awaken our imaginations to what you're doing in the world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll be in John chapter 14. The book of John tells like the story of Jesus' life, and in the season of Lent, the days leading up to Easter, we're looking at the final days of Jesus' life, like his farewell tour. There's some uh, dramatic scenes, there's some important words that Jesus leaves his followers with. And in chapter 14, he's talking to his disciples, 12 people who followed him really closely. And it's important to know that they left things behind to follow Jesus. They invested in what Jesus was doing. They bought in. They were there. And now Jesus is preparing them for his departure. He's telling them that he's going to leave. It's an unexpected and kind of fearful ending to the story. In fact, he starts this message with, don't let your hearts be troubled, which I don't know about you, but when anyone calls me and starts with, don't worry, don't freak out, I know right away there's bad news to follow. So this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus makes things so clear and easy to understand, doesn't he? (laughs) I love that the disciples have questions. You know, Thomas asked this really practical question, how am I supposed to know how to get where you are if I don't know where you're going? And I have a lot of questions. Do you have questions? Like, I want to know, what does Jesus mean that he's preparing a place for us? Is this like when you're hanging out with your friends and last minute they decide they're going to come over, so you like run two red lights to get home four minutes before them, so you can clean everything up and pretend that it just always looks like that? Is that what he means? Jesus said there's going to be a lot of rooms, but like, how many rooms? You know, am I going to have a roommate? Do, do they snore? Are they an extrovert? And... Like, most seriously, is there a cleaning chart? Because, like, we all have different standards of cleanliness, you know? What is this house like? It's interesting to me that Jesus specifies there being a house, a home with many rooms. To think about all the things that Jesus could have said to encourage his followers, he could have said, I'm leaving, but this is all part of the plan. I'm going to come back. I'll make everything right. It's okay, don't worry, I'm not leaving you forever. But he specifies a house with many rooms. Why does he do that? Why does he offer this image of a home? It's helpful to know that at the time that Jesus arrived on the scene, home would have been an emotionally heated topic. Israel, the nation that God formed with unique purpose, were living under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire was occupying their land. So it's a sensitive topic. But then when John is writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, things are kind of chaotic. They're not much better. The Romans are still there. The temple has been destroyed. And Jesus is talking about a home. And then Though this word is for more than Israel, it lands with a group of people that have a traumatic history with home. Because before they were Israel, they were Hebrews in Egypt. They were slaves, ruled over and oppressed by Pharaoh, which wasn't a name, it was actually a title. And I learned recently in the book Three Mile an Hour God by Kosuke Koyama that the word Pharaoh, that title, means great house. Ironically, He is named after his great house that was not for people. It was for him and his power and his wealth. So the Hebrews are living as slaves in Egypt, and God comes and rescues them, and he forms them into this nation, and eventually he takes them to land and home, and they have a place, and then another empire comes in and tears them from their home. It was a traumatic experience. Someone describes it in the book of Lamentations this way. 
The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. This word lands to a group of people who know the ache and the grief for home. Anyone know the longing for home? Longing for a place of refuge where you belong, where you feel safe? Jesus is preparing a place for us. That's what he said. God has a house with many rooms. This is good news. It lands as good news then, and it lands as good news now here in the Bay Area where so many people live in housing insecurity. It lands as good news for people who have a house but feel like they don't really have a home, a place. This is partly why I asked the Rap and Checks to share, because I think as you think about their story in this passage, you start to wonder, were they preparing a place or was Jesus preparing the place? Like, was it their house or was it God's house? This isn't something that I read in the commentary, it's just Grace's imagination, which sometimes I like to think, you know, the Holy Spirit is involved in. But I like to think that when we open our homes, when we open our house, they become rooms in God's house. It's like the place that God's preparing for us, it's coming down, like right here, right now. This is good news. I think when it comes to housing insecurity, when we think about it, when we face the reality, it can feel quite paralyzing, can't it? Leaves you wondering, what could I actually do? What can I do? Because it's been the reality for such a long time, it almost feels normal, but it's not. I was talking to a teacher recently who says she works a job in the evening, a second job, just to afford to live here. That's not normal. So it can leave you wondering, what am I to do? What am I to do? And there are some philosophers who would say, you can't answer that question of what am I to do until you answer the question of what story do I find myself a part of? What story is helping me make sense of who I am and my purpose and my goal and my responsibility and relationship to other people? Because there's a lot of stories floating around that kind of shape us. Stories about American dreams. Maybe you find yourself in a story that's like a romantic comedy. You're waiting for the person who's going to come and make everything right and have this love story, and finally you'll be happy. Maybe you find yourself in a story of wanting to prove yourself because you've been in places that, where you haven't been recognized. So you keep working and working, trying to succeed and be someone. What story is shaping you? It's interesting because in this passage, Jesus points to this greater story. I mentioned before that I lived in Canada for a little bit, and January 2020 was a particularly challenging month. I was moving out of my apartment, and the landlord had told me that she wouldn't be able to find anyone until March 1st, and then near the end of the month said, actually, she found someone for February 1st, so I was going to have to be out. And I was living in this suburb where a lot of, like, very few people, single people lived. And when you leave countries, you don't take your credit or rental history with you. You, like, start over. 
So I was scrambling, and there were a handful of other challenges. Someone stole my winter parka. One day I came home, and my bedroom window had shattered, which is like not what you want in Canada in January. Um, but on top of all of that, I was feeling kind of lonely. And I remember talking to a pastor that was also from the United States, and he said, Grace, I've been here for a long time, but it doesn't matter how much this place feels like home, I don't fully belong here. And I was coming terms with the reality that it didn't matter how long I stayed there, how much I loved it, how much I loved the people there, I would never quite fully belong. I would never quite fully be home. And that's how the Bible kind of describes our reality that this home, this world, is not actually our home. It will never fully be home. But God has a place for us. God has always wanted us to have a place, to have a home. I love the way the author Cole Arthur Riley describes this in her book, This Here Flesh. She said, isn't it something that in Genesis, God makes a home for things before God makes the thing? Not the fish first, but the sea. Not the bird first, but the sky. Not the human first, but the garden. I like to think of God hunched over in the garden, fingernails hugging the brown soil, mighty hands cradling mud like it's the last flame in a windstorm. A God who says, not out of my womb, but out of this here dust, I will make you. God made a place for us. God wants home for us, and then, well, we left. We did life on our own. We brought sin and violence and brokenness into the world, and now this place is not home. This place isn't home, and the truth is, even when things are going really well for you, even when things could feel like it's home and things are right, it'll turn on you any second through a diagnosis, through a job loss, through a bank closure. So we're waiting for home. At the end of January, it was like six days, I think, before I was supposed to be out of my apartment, I had friends who were planning to help me move, but nowhere to move yet. And I was meeting with this woman in my church, and she happened to ask me how my apartment was. So I very nonchalantly told her what was going on and then tried to change the subject. And she said, wait, what? You're supposed to be out of your place in like a week? This is really stressful. And I said something like, yeah. God's going to take care of me, because, like, I had no choice but to believe that at that point. Um, a day or two later, she calls, and she says, Grace, I have two people who want to take you in, two people who I had never met. Um, it's pretty incredible if you think about it, although I will say I'm a good housemate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the night that I moved in with this couple, John and Naomi, it was like 11.30 by the time I got to their place. I was so tired. I was so lonely. I was so weary. And Naomi came out to my car to greet me, and she gave me a hug, and she said, welcome home. And she grabbed my bag, and she took it inside. And February 2020, that month, was really good. Even though we know, like, what happens after that. Like, that, <laughs> that month... It was so, it was such a gift to live with people, to have relationship and connection. And it felt at a time where things had been chaotic and hard, like home. 
like God had prepared a place for me. Because he is preparing a place for us. And when we follow Jesus, when we follow his way, and we experience this truth, this hospitality, that's when we expand that to other people. When we think about our house, not as our house, but God's house, a place that Jesus is preparing for other people. We experience God as our provider, the one who cares and knows about our needs. That's a story. I want to find myself in that story. During the season of Lent, we've made space to practice confession which can sound a little bit intimidating or confusing if you think about it, because like if God already knows everything that we do in our hearts and God is really gracious and has already forgiven us, then why do we need to? Like, what's the point of acknowledging, you know, our wrongdoing or where we're at? But the truth is confession helps us align ourselves more closely with the way of Jesus so that we can not only be at home one day, but be at home here now our souls settled in relationship with him. And confession can be an opportunity to look at our behaviors and acknowledge things that we've done or not done, but it can also be an opportunity to acknowledge the stories that are shaping us. What are we telling ourselves about who God is and who we are and our purpose in the world? Because the story that God created a place for all of us, that everything that we have belongs to him, that he is our provider and he placed us in community with a purpose. That's a very different story than you're on your own. All that you have is yourself, and you better work really hard and store up a great house because the world is insecure. The story that God created you in love, for loving relationship, to share his love and hospitality with the world, that's a different story than... People don't notice you very much. You're not very special, but you can try to work really hard to make a name and be remembered. Maybe if you care about everybody else's needs. Maybe if you care about all the things other people care about, then you'll fit in and you'll belong. That's a very different story. So what stories are shaping you? Is it God's story? Or is it a different story? We'll take some time after I pray to create space just to reflect on your life with God and what story that you're following. And I have a couple prompts on a slide just to guide you in this process. First, I would say, invite the Holy Spirit into this time of self-examination. Help God, ask God to help you think about what lies you're believing about who you are your purpose and your future? What lies are you believing about who God is? And you can write that down on the paper that you were given and share this with God. And then ask for God's truth and receive it. What does God say? What is God's story? And then last, how do you feel led to respond? As you live more fully in God's hospitality, is it something God is inviting you to do, something you feel free to do? So we'll create some space for that. Let me say a prayer for us first. 
gracious God, our creator, creator of the world and everything in it. We are so thankful that you've created a home for us. We're thankful for the way that you prepare a place for us even now, that we have glimpses of the home that you have for us. We pray that we would experience more of your love and hospitality, that we would find ourselves more fully a part of your story, that we might extend your love and partner with your mission and hospitality in the world. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.